Well, I have good news to you today. We're looking at just three verses. Last week, we looked at an entire chapter, and the week before that, we looked at most of a chapter, and that's just one of the ways you have to approach books like Daniel, as so much is based on the storyline in a given chapter. But today, we're looking at the first three verses of Daniel chapter 6. Next week, we'll look at the middle section as we, as we consider Daniel in spiritual warfare And then on November 1st, which will be the Sunday that we celebrate the Reformation, we'll be looking at Daniel actually in the lion's den. But we'll be looking at Daniel as a type or foreshadowing of Christ. And as we not only read and study that beautiful passage in the last part of Daniel chapter 6, but also as we celebrate Reformation Sunday. And what a way to celebrate Reformation as we reflect upon all that Jesus has done for you and me. That's very much what the Reformation was about. So that'll give you the the syllabus for our next several Sundays. But today we'll be looking at Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. If you have turned there, read along with me as I read aloud. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. And then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Let us pray. Our Father, as we reflect upon Daniel, a man distinguished, I pray that we might benefit from pausing and studying the man and all that you did in and through him. And Father, we pray that we might be encouraged today to keep on keeping on, engaging the various callings that you placed upon our lives, even into our latter years, that though our bodies may begin to fail, yet, oh God, may we have the mindset that appears to be the mindset of Daniel to engage the calling that you have placed upon him at every stage of his life, even in the latter stages. And so work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, perhaps you've heard the saying, perhaps you've used the saying, I would rather rather wear out than rust out. And the sentiment behind this for the Christian is, I want to be faithful to engage the various callings, the various vocations that God has placed upon me at every stage of life. Now, as we age, our capacities decline, and that is a function of life. And so we may suffer health issues, we may suffer mobility issues, We may suffer energy and stamina issues, but there's one thing about it. God keeps calling us to do all sorts of things, irrespective of our age, right up until the very last vocation. Can anybody tell me the last vocation, the last calling of God upon his people this side of heaven? It's death. And right up until that time... God is calling us to be his vessels through which he works to benefit culture 
and to serve others. And I would commend to you that we see this in Daniel's life. And I want to take the, the sermon is primarily based on that, that one statement that we find in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 3, where it says that Daniel was distinguished above all others. He was dis- distinguished as a spirit-led saint. That's the first point on your sermon outline. And secondly, he was distinguished in the vocation that God placed upon him as a statesman. And that's the second point on your sermon outline. And then he was distinguished as a senior citizen. And I want to flesh that out, and I hope this will be a great encouragement to to those older saints among us today, that God is still calling you to do all sorts of things, to benefit culture, and to serve others. And so that's, that's basically our sermon outline today. And I want us to begin by looking first and foremost at Daniel as a distinguished saint, a spirit-led saint. And this week I was having a conversation with, with one of our members and we were just talking about the book of Daniel and, and this sermon series. And, and both of us made the statement that, that Daniel was, was just an exceptional a stellar biblical figure. You know, when we think of the stalwarts that are presented to us in the Bible, Moses, Abraham, uh, David, uh, we, we, we think of uh, Paul and Peter in the New Testament, the Bible is brutally honest about both the good and the bad of, of these figures. And so we have somewhat of a, of a mixed bag with regards to their character, and rightly so, because that Pretty much it's the Christian life. It's, it's, it's a mixed bag. So God doesn't hold back any in describing Abraham as a liar and Moses as a murderer and, and Paul as a persecutor and Peter as a denier. But it's interesting that when we get to Daniel, it's as if he is this untarnished figure in the Bible. It's primarily a positive account. Now, we know that Daniel was a sinner. We know that Daniel needed a Savior. We know that Daniel probably got upset and angry, and he struggled like you and me. But the Bible presents Daniel in this unbelievably positive light. And I want to suggest to you that we not let that get in the way of of seeing Daniel as a model, as a hero for our living. Because of this, this untarnished, stellar record that we have of Daniel, all the more that we should say, Daniel is one of my heroes, as the, as the old hymn that we will sing at the proper time. I want to dare to be a Daniel. I want us to look at, at verse 3, where we find that Daniel is a distinguished, spirit-led saint. And verse 3 says, that he, has an, that he had an excellent spirit, an excellent spirit was in him. And I think we need to be careful not to just simply say, well, this probably refers to Daniel just having a, a good personality or he was a hard worker. He had these natural gifts and abilities. I believe that this points directly to the fact that Daniel was led by God the Spirit that it's the Spirit that was working through Daniel. And it's the fruit of the Spirit working in Daniel that, that that those around him observed. 
And it's for that reason they said Daniel is one with an excellent spirit. And so the key that I want us to focus on today is this, that the power source, the power source of Daniel's living and his work was God, the Holy Spirit, imparting to him all that he needed to be a faithful, spirit-led saint. Now, let's look at God, the Holy Spirit, working. He worked in the Old Testament, but he worked, in a sense, occasionally, in the sense that, he, that there were those episodes where he filled people with, with, that God's people were filled with the Spirit, and that resulted in certain tasks being accomplished. And in fact, the Old Testament prophet Joel said this in chapter 2, verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And what Joel is saying here is that in the Old Testament day, God the Spirit is working, but He'll work in a more pervasive way in a future day. And of course, we know the future day is Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit was poured out pervasively upon the church. But the point that I want to make is that, given that, Daniel still was led by the Spirit. And we see certain examples of this in the Bible. One example is in Exodus 31 and verse 3, where Bezalel, who was one of the craftsmen that was commissioned to do various, or to make various things for the temple, was filled with the Spirit. Listen to this in Exodus 31, 3. The Lord said to Moses, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uriah, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones and setting them, and in carving wood to work in every craft." And so that's just one example of someone other than Daniel in the Old Testament. There are many examples of this, being filled with the Spirit to accomplish a task that God had assigned them. And so what I want us to see here is Daniel was Spirit-led, and people around him observed that, though they couldn't understand it in godly terms. Think about it like this. Others, even pagan kings... Nebuchadnezzar, Balthazar, and now Darius were drawn to Daniel because of the excellent Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, that was working in him and through him. That's why he was winsome. That's why he was so good at what he did. It's a beautiful, beautiful reality that we see in the Old Testament. Let's move into the New Testament and let us see that every Christian has the Spirit, that Spirit that empowered Daniel is the Spirit that is the source of our living and worship and work and life. And when people look at us And they say, oh my, what a stellar person. It is not a stellar Rodney Lewis. 
It's a stellar Holy Spirit empowering a man like our brother Rodney to serve God and to benefit others. Galatians 5, through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I believe this little phrase spoken in in chapter 6 and verse 3, that Darius realized, that Belshazzar saw, that Nebuchadnezzar depended on, this this little phrase, this, this excellent spirit, is the fruit of the work of God's spirit flowing out of Daniel. And even the pagans appreciate it. He was led by the spirit. And this should also distinguish us as we keep in step with the Spirit, as Paul says in Galatians 5. That is, as we live by faith, and we we have the Spirit, but we also need to depend upon the Spirit, and we receive the Spirit's power, and we rest in the Spirit, and we trust Him to work in us and through us. It's very much like, we were talking this morning about God's overflowing blessing in our lives. Well, you know, you all know I like coffee. And I remember an old relative of mine back when I was a boy living, living on a farm. I used to see him. I've, I've, I've told this story before, so if you heard it, you want to hear it again. But he had a coffee cup with a saucer. I don't know if any man drinks a coffee with a saucer unless it's handed to him by a woman. Anyway, he had a coffee cup and a saucer. That's not negative. I'm just simply saying. It's just, I typically don't get a saucer when I drink my coffee. But anyway, if you're handed a cup and a saucer, drink it, love it. But anyway, he would have a, a cup and a saucer... And what he would do is he'd pour the coffee out in the saucer and blow on it, and then he would sip it out of the, the saucer. It was the weirdest thing. But I remember that as a kid. Well, think of it like this. You've got your coffee cup there, and you're pouring your coffee. You keep on pouring. The cup overflows. Whatever flows in the saucer. You see, I think that's what happens when the Holy Spirit gets to filling us, to overflowing, and the overflow is the fruit of the Spirit ministry that people see and appreciate. And so God is so good in that he's promised to fill us to overflowing. Just read the prayer in Ephesians 3 that Paul prays for the church. Where he says, by faith, ask God the Holy Spirit to pour to overflowing in our hearts the love of Christ. And we can say that love of Christ filling us to overflowing. The the overflow is our ministry that other people so greatly appreciate. So I think this describes what's going on in Daniel's life, and this describes what is to go on in every believer's life as we keep in step with the Spirit, as we keep believing, as we keep having faith. And so the unbeliever may look at us and they may say, oh my, that person is so patient with trying people. Oh, oh, oh my, that, that person is so gentle with those who fail him. Oh my, that, that, that person is so kind to those who oppose him. Why is that the case? Well, we know why. They really appreciate it. They are drawn to people who, who live like that. But we know why, because it's the Spirit filling us to overflowing. And if the Spirit is our 
controlling source, then the product of that is going to be the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, patience, self-control, and all those things that we read in Galatians 5, 22. Daniel was distinguished with an excellent spirit as a spirit-led man. And he was led by the Spirit as he went about engaging culture and in relating to those around him, especially those in authority over him, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and now Darius. And this brings us to the second point. He was led by the Spirit as he went about doing the vocation to which God had called him. And what is that vocation? Simply, Daniel was a statesman. Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of England during World War II, was, is credited by many historians as being one of the great statesmen. And here's a quote. Churchill was an effective leader and statesman because of his tremendous ability to inspire people. This unique strategic insight was relentless and imperturbable. I can't even pronounce that. Personality. In other words, you just couldn't, couldn't uh, subvert that personality. It just flow, bubbled up to the top. Every single time. One of the greatest statesmen in the 20th century. Well, I'll tell you, there's a greater statesman. And it's Daniel. And the reason he was such a great statesman is because of that excellent spirit, God the Holy Spirit, empowering him as he went about doing the things that God called him to do. And in particular, as he went about fulfilling the vocation of, of statesmen. But let's re- remember back in chapter 1, we find Daniel being brought, being chosen to go into exile because he was such a promising youth. And so we see that quality even in this young man, Daniel. And that's one of the reasons Nebuchadnezzar had him deported to Babylon because he saw the potential in Daniel and his friends to really benefit Babylon one day. And then we, we recall in, in chapter 2 where, where Nebuchadnezzar depends upon Daniel. And in the interpretation of that dream in chapter 2, and as a result of that, he was promoted in verse 48 of chapter 2 to being a ruler over the whole province. We see once again this, this Daniel's abilities and gifts as a spirit-led man affecting his promotion time and time again. And now we find in chapter 5, Daniel's promoted once again. As Belshazzar offered the reward to Daniel, Daniel originally refused it, but then ultimately he bestowed this reward and this promotion upon Daniel. This spirit-led man was promoted Time and time and time and time again. God called him to this. God called him to that. God called him in this place. And we find Daniel now in chapter 6 rising, I would say, to the pinnacle of his vocation. And as we look at chapter 6, I just want to say a few things about Darius, Darius the Mede. His identity is really unclear. I alluded last week to the fact that, that some scholars, and I think you know, this is as good as any, believe that, that Darius was Gaburu, which, who, who was a general of Cyrus's, and he was actually not only the one who, who was credited with, with conquering Babylon and putting Belshazzar to death, but also was appointed to be the ruler of, of that new conquered empire by Cyrus. 
Others would say, no, Darius is Cyrus. And the third option, which may be the best, is scholars would say, there's just no way to know. (laughs) But here's the fact. Darius was in charge. He was the leader. And Daniel was under him. That we know for sure. And so as we look at chapter, or verse 2 of of chapter 6, we see that that Darius now, who is in charge, regardless of of his identity, we find that his government structure is detailed. And here's the government structure that we we find in verse 2 and in in verse 1. That there are satraps, these are, are regional or provincial leaders that have been appointed to be in charge of, of, a, of a region or province. And the next tier are three men, three positions, who are called presidents. And Daniel is numbered among this second tier or this high post of, of being a president. And so the idea is that the satraps would report to their president and their president would report to Darius. And so there you have the governmental structure that Darius the Mede set up in this new conquered kingdom that had either been appointed to him or was, was his outright. And it's an interesting point in verse 2 that this gov- governmental structure was in place for this reason, that the king, that Darius, would not suffer loss. Now, one of the roles of the satrap was to collect the tribute and then the taxes and then to pass that on uh, to Darius's treasury. And so it's very simple to simply uh, and logical to understand that the suffering of loss that we find in verse 2 likely was financial loss. And Darius wanted to make sure that every, every penny that was owed him in this tribute made it to his treasury. And of course, we know all about greed and graft and corruption. Uh, that was just as much a problem then as it is now. And so this governmental structure was set up to protect Darius's financial well-being. And Daniel was part of that, that structure. And likely was also set up because Darius was concerned that there might be an uprising. As we talked about with Nebuchadnezzar, human rulers and all mar- monarchies are basically insecure. And so likely this governmental structure was somewhat of a protection for Darius's authority and rule to protect his throne. Well, I hope you really enjoyed that little uh, description of the governmental structure of this new Medo-Persian empire in Babylon. Wasn't that interesting? Don't you love all that little sidebar information? Well, I didn't give it just to impress you with my historical knowledge. There's a very, very powerful lesson here, and here it is. It's an amazing picture of God's kingdom. Daniel, representing the kingdom of God, was still standing when Nebuchadnezzar fell, was still standing when Belshazzar fell, And he will be standing when Darius falls. The kingdoms of men come and go, but God's kingdom remains forever. And then we also want to add on to that. Think about it this way as well. Another powerful lesson here. 
Daniel made it to a high position in Nebuchadnezzar's administration. Daniel made it to a high position in Belteshazzar's administration. And of, of all things, maybe more striking than those two promotions is that Daniel made it to a high position in the conquering king's administration, Darius. And even more remarkable than that, what do we learn in, in verse 3 is that Darius's intention, his plan, was to make Daniel the ruler over the whole ball of wax. A spirit-led man called by God to benefit culture and to serve others in the most amazing and profound way. That's what we see here in the book of Daniel. And this is why Daniel is distinguished as a statesman because God had called him to that post. And because of that excellent spirit, he really was used of God to benefit culture and to serve others with the promise of being in charge over the entire kingdom. Let's just stop and pause and say, wow, that's how God works in the lives of his people. We can be so depressed about the state of our country. We can be so concerned about the state of the world. And yes, legitimately so. But the kingdoms of men rise and fall and God's kingdom remains forever. God's people are being called into every honorable sphere of this world and God is working through them to bring about his purposes to benefit culture and to and, and to love people and in some cases like Daniel in an amazing profound and high-ranking way so I want to encourage you today encourage myself today you know let's don't be surprised if God brings you to do something really big. And even if he doesn't call you to do something really big, the way he's using you is big. It may be on a small scale, but he's using you and he's using me in the various vocations to love people and to benefit culture. And let's just pause and think for just a moment about the whole, whole issue of vocation. I want to be very, very quick here. The, the word vocation is taken from the Latin simply meaning calling, that God calls us to all sorts of things. And our, the, the foremost calling is being called to possess the gift of eternal life. I would say that's the, at least in, in, in my estimation, when I list the various callings God has placed upon my life, Everlasting life, the calling to, to be saved is right is at, the top, at the top. But yeah, think of all the other ways that God calls his people. We, we are, as I said earlier, and I wasn't joking, one calling is death. <laughs> but he also calls us to marriage or he calls us 
uh, to singleness. He calls us to parenthood. He calls us to being uh, children. He, he calls us to an occupation. He calls us to be a student. He calls us to be a magistrate, perhaps, like Daniel, or to be a minister like, like me. And we can generally characterize the callings of God into family, productive labor, cultural engagements, and, and, and priestly pursuits like, like, like the ministry. But because of the Reformation principle, the priesthood of all believers, not one calling is any more important than the other. That there is not this distinction between secular and sacred. That as we are out in culture, as we are out doing our job, be it, quote, secular, it's sacred for the Christian. Because that's something that God has called us to do. And He is using us in that occupation to benefit culture and to love people. It's amazing. We think about it this way. We think about our jobs, what is going to bring money in for me, what is going to satisfy me. In God's economy, vocations is all about God using us to bless others. Young people, think about that when you're trying to set your career path. That God is in the business of placing His people in various occupations, doing all sorts of things to benefit culture and to bless others. And, and I, so it really isn't the case where, oh, I want to get a job so I can share Christ. I mean, yes, we should be wanting to give a, a reason for our, our faith at every time and every, every, every circumstance. But it's rather common for people to say, I want to do that job because it will give me the ability to, to share Christ more with people. But in reality, that really isn't consistent with the doctrine of vocation. Because the doctrine of vocation says that honorable occupation is significant in and of itself because God created it. To be a part of His fulfilling the cultural mandate that He gave in Genesis chapter 2. And so if you are an accountant, if you are a nurse, if you are a mother, if you are a teacher, if you are, just name it, it's significant if it's an honorable form of labor because God ordained it, God has placed you there, God is benefiting His culture from it, God is loving people through you in that particular vocation. And so here's what we need to say, I am an accountant who goes about accounting Christianly. And in that way, God is honored, but God is also honored by me being the very best accountant I can be to bless my customers. I hope that you get the picture. But, we, but the passage that J.C. read in Romans 13 is just an example of a vocation, the vocation of the civil magistrate. And... We read in verse 4, for he is God's servant for good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And so if we just look at Romans 13 and the vocation of civil magistrate, we see that the civil magistrate is a blessing to culture, pr providing the peace so people can, can live in peace. He does good, but also by punishing the evildoer so people can also live in peace. The point is that through the civil magistrate, God is ruling and governing His culture, and the cultural mandate is being expanded. 
And I want to say this, God doesn't just call godly people, he calls the unregenerate. And we have a beautiful example of this that very much relates to the book of Daniel in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1 and verses 4 through 7, where we read Isaiah saying that God called Cyrus, the king of Persia, to be the vehicle through which to bless his people by releasing them from captivity so they could return home. We see that under Ezra and Nehemiah, the the people returning home to rebuild the uh, temple and then secondly to rebuild the wall. God calls pagans and even works through pagans to bless his culture and to be a blessing to people in culture. Martin Luther said this, vocation is not primarily about what we do, but what God does through us through us to benefit others in culture. That's a great way to think about our work. Gene Veith, one of my favorite authors, wrote this. Uh, he, he, he said, you can understand the doctrine of vocation in two ways. First, understand that it is God's providentially governing the realm of human beings by working through them to bestow his gifts. And then secondly, according to Veith, it is to love and serve our neighbor. The doctrine of vocations, according to Veith, charges our everyday lives and our mundane activities with spiritual significance, and it is indeed a powerful motivator to perform them with excellence. You think about your job, and every person I know that has a job at some point views that job as mundane and boring. And you know what? There are weeks I'll probably say this tonight. It all starts over Monday. Another men's Bible study. Another Sunday school. And another sermon. And another service to plan. And another visit to make. Don't get me wrong. Love doing it all. Privileged to do it. But you, like me, work can get pretty mundane. Even professional Christian work like me. You know I'm kind of half kidding, don't you? But I'm half not kidding. Because there are some days it's really hard to do the things I need to do. And so I need to hear this quote. That through the, the mundane of the mundane things that we do, it is ordained by God. And he has called me there. And he is working through me there to benefit culture, to love other people, to benefit you, this church. And it should cause me then to say, I am going to do my very best. Because it's not about me. It is about God's glory and it is about you being loved by your pastor. And you apply that to your work. You apply that to your mundaneness in your life. And let's see if it won't change our personal life. Let's see if it won't change our church as we all start thinking this way. And we begin seeing that God has called us in fellowship in this church. And it's not about us. It's not about our preferences being fulfilled. It's about God saying, I'm going to call this person the Covenant Presbyterian Church because through this person, I'm going to love those other people at Covenant. 
It's a powerful principle that we see here in Daniel about vocation. And of all things, Daniel is called to the secular of the secular positions, president of however many satraps he had, I guess a third of them. And yet God said, Daniel, through you, I'm going to benefit that Babylonian culture. And I'm going to bless those people through you. Think about that in the sphere of influence that you have. And this brings us to the last point. God never stops calling us to do various things. A spirit-led saint... Daniel, that distinguished him, was led by the Spirit every step of the way as he engaged the vocation that God had placed upon him to be the president now of this conquering kingdom of of Babylon. And he was distinguished as a statement so that Darius wanted to make him ruler over the whole kingdom. That's how distinguished he was as a statesman. And what age was Daniel? This year, <laughs> for you older saints here today, I hope this really encourages you. Because as I'm approaching older age, apparently I can get the uh, senior meal at Denny's now. And I also have the senior discount at Kroger, by the way, on Tuesday. Tell Chris I said that. I hope this encourages you that God is not done calling you. You may be done with you. You may think other people are done with you. But God is not done with you. God is not done with any of us. At every stage of our life, He's calling us and He keeps on calling us until the last calling, go be with Jesus. (laughs) And there are certain individuals in this church who physically are not able to do much. And I go and visit with them. And I may go somewhat downcast. And every time, every time I leave, I leave uplifted. Their vocation is to encourage me (laughs) when I go visit. And I'm so encouraged. Daniel was well into his 80s when Belshazzar breathed his last breath and Darius took over, well into his 80s. This is given he was was 66 years since the exile in 605 and 539 when, when Babylon fell. 66 years, and let's just say he was 18 years old when he was deported. So 84, think about that. He was an old guy. God wasn't done with Daniel. He kept calling, he kept calling, he kept kept calling, and Daniel kept engaging, he kept engaging, he kept engaging. He didn't let his age get in the way. His body may have been in all kinds of, of disrepair, but his mindset was, God has called me, he's working through me, I'm going to engage this call because I know he's going to bless others through me. God keeps calling. And I want to give an example from Scripture. I think this is, in teaching the men's Bible study, our last study was on the life of David. 
Oh boy, time is just about up. Let me go through this quickly. And we were studying the life of David, and I saw something that really hadn't, hadn't struck me before. And it, it's, about, it's, it's about King David, that in uh, 1 Kings chapter 1, we, we, we find that David was so old that they had to get this, this young woman to come. It's not a sexual thing, but just simply come and keep him warm. And so I can just see David there stuck in his bedroom with this young gal. But yet, what we find, that, and this is at the end of David's life, that his whole life he wanted to build the temple to God, for God. And because David was a man with blood on his hands, David, God used David in incredible ways. And David's role, David's vocation was to kill and conquer in order that Israel might have peace and the throne of David might be established. And that's what David did. And God said, David, you're not the one to build my temple. My temple will be built by one that does not have blood on his hands. You've done what I've asked you to do. But Solomon will be the one to build the temple in the time of peace that I brought about through you, David. And so here David is at the end of his days. We all know David failed miserably and all kinds of consequences because of that. He had every reason to check out. He had every reason to give up. He had every reason to stay in his bed and just simply not get out. But, but he kept working. What was he working on? We know from First Chronicles 28 and also First Kings that he was working on the plans for the temple. We also know that, that David in First Chronicles chapter 28, that he gave much of his wealth and for the building of the temple, and this is what he did. When he was declining, he was working to make it easy for Solomon to come and build the temple. And so as David is going out, as an old man, he's developing the plans for the temple. He's accumulating the funds for the temple so that he can simply say, Solomon, my son, here it is. I passed over the leadership of Israel to you. My generation's dying. You're the new generation. You take control. God bless you. He encourages in 1 Kings and also in 1 Chronicles 28 for everybody to gather around Solomon and encourage him. He wanted Solomon to succeed. He wanted Solomon to be better than him. And he says, Solomon, here are the plans for the temple. Solomon, here are the funds for the temple. In other words, he made it easy for Solomon to take over. David represents one whose vocation changed over time. Started out, you're the warrior king ended up, you're the one who is to prepare the next generation to take over leadership in, in the nation. And my dear older saint friends, you have a wonderful opportunity to be like David, to be like Daniel, in, in the ripe old age of whatever that is, to view it as a calling that God has placed you in this position so that you can benefit the next generation and serve them to take over. And you younger generation, hear this. You need to be receptive to that. 
and to receive it. And to see the value in the older generation that has so much to teach you about service and about faithfulness. And so it's the vocation of mentor and mentee. This is just one example of how this principle that we see in Daniel. This old man who is just about to take the leadership of the entire nation. But you too can have a vocation just as significant in the lives of the younger generation here at Covenant. By pouring into their lives. And like I said, you may not even be ambulatory. You you may not be able to get out. But you can invite a tired, weary guy like me over and bless my heart and encourage me. You may not even be able to pick up an infant out of a crib, but you can go sit in a rocking chair and you can have a younger one put an infant in your arms And you can rock that baby and love on that baby. And guess what? You're also modeling service to that young person. And guess what? You're also modeling service and community to those parents who come by and see you loving on their child. I believe we're at a crossroads at Covenant. And I believe the crossroads is this. That we need to rethink how we go about doing church in terms of equipping the next generation to take over as churchmen and churchwomen and leaders in this church. And I think this, this principle that we see in Daniel, who kept on engaging the calling that God placed upon him even well into his 80s, is an example for us to keep pursuing the various callings. He's given us the resource, spirit-indwelled believers. He's placed upon us the calling, the various callings, and one of them being in community together here at Covenant. And he's also beautifully working through every generation, young and old, to benefit this church, And to love people in this church. And he's working in your life, whatever vocation it is, to benefit culture and to love our neighbor in culture. I think this is so exciting. It's not about what we do. It's about what God is doing through us. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for this church, and I thank you for every generation. And I've I've just been so overcome with the profound truth that that we see in Daniel's life about what a distinguished, exceptional man he was. It was all because of the Spirit. And And you kept on using him well into his latter years. What an encouragement that is for us. And Father, I pray today that that you would continue to work in and through us to benefit the church and culture, to love those in the church, and even to love those outside of culture. And we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.